Welcome, everybody. This is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a book this week. I watched a movie this week. We're doing Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the wonderful book by Douglas Adams. It is the 15th anniversary of the film. Uh, so we decided what perfect opportunity, and there's more as well, <laughs> Taylor, as you... As it is, yeah, it is the anniversary of the original creation of this thing in the form of a radio play. And that was 42 years ago, which seems mm -hmm. like an odd anniversary to celebrate, but it's very important for this piece of work, which we'll explain later. So I just watched it. This is a movie that uh, all of my friends watched when I think I was in uh, fourth grade and I never saw it. It seemed like a bridge too far for me on just like absurdity, I guess, at the time. <laughs> and so I, this is something that just got left behind for me. And my initial reaction is, man, I wish I had watched this at the time. It's really accessible, I think. As wild and as eccentric as it is, I think, especially from a child's point of view, yeah, this could be really, really positive and soothing in a lot of ways with how crazy it is. Uh, it, it, it really... I think offers a lot to help calm the mind in terms of what are the big questions and the meaning of life and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. I, as far as like for that age, uh, when I should have watched this, man, I really wish I had. And it's very British dry humor. And that's what it's known for, especially being the paragon of satire in terms of science fiction and comedy. So this is also part of what I would consider like the trifecta of geekdom in the 70s and 80s, which mm -hmm. includes Monty Python's Flying Circus. Oh, uh, yeah. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and then Doctor Who, which uh -huh. is still extended. But all of that, if you were in that time frame in the 70s and 80s, this was big. So that's why the movie being made in 2005 maybe feels like a little bit too late or a little bit too early mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. what people were into. Brief overview of the story is uh, a guy down on his lunk, Arthur Dent, his his house is about to be demolished uh, because they're building a road through <laughs> through that area. Uh, and so that's that's where we find our main character when luckily his uh, best friend comes along, reveals himself to be an alien the entire time, says, don't worry about your house. The whole planet's about to explode in uh, 10 minutes. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so they they go to the bar, get six pints and just pack them back while he while Arthur is just like, wait, what? What's going on? You're in a who? A what? A where? And so right at the moment of calamity, they zap up to one of the ships that's orbiting the, the Earth at that time. And it goes on from there. But that's kind of the, the, the conceit of it is that this guy's life is ending while right on top of it, the world is ending. And, uh, and his whole worldview is actually not just changing, but uh, is disappearing. Right. <laughs> and ironically, the reason the Earth is being demolished is for a highway of the intergalactic scale. It's just some bureaucrats who are like, well, we got to explode your planet because we're building a highway through the galaxy for this. <laughs> and so the Earth explodes at the very, that's the start like of this whim, story. Just, yeah. like, like with a whisper almost. It's not even like a big explosion. It's yeah. just kind of a, hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking to that, so a part of like the the how odd this thing was, I guess, when it came out, I remember as a kid, like in the same time, elementary school, there mm -hmm. was a preview for this, and I'll post a link to it, that came out in theaters watching some other kid's movie, and it's Louis Armstrong's What a Wonderful World playing in the oh. background as we're like swooping around the earth, right when it gets to the, I think to myself, what the earth just explodes <laughs> in rubble, and then it says, don't panic, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, May 6th, or whenever it came oh, out. So, okay. so it's like- 
watching that as a kid was absolutely horrifying because I was at the age where like I didn't <laughs> yeah like you no, didn't even yeah, process this, that yeah, I stuff. Felt similarly. And so when I looked at it, I was like, oh, this is horrifying because I was there to watch 102 Dalmatians or something, <laughs> and then I just see the Earth explode, and I yeah. my mind wasn't ready for like a, a disparity between like music and images. Yeah. <laughs> like I was not yeah. old enough to understand that. <laughs> it's funny because I remember this when we started looking into this, and I was like, oh my god, I have to go look at that again. It's not scary or anything, <laughs> but if you look, it's like a shared consciousness because I looked at all the comments on YouTube and everybody's like, oh, this messed me up when I was 11. <laughs> oh man, this was the yeah. weirdest thing I've ever saw. Oh, I was I skipped this on the VHS. Well, similarly, I think I, uh, one thing I remember without knowing exactly what it was was Sam Rockwell's character has mm-hmm. this head that kind of pops back and <laughs> pops forward. He has like two faces. He kind of has like a head hunched down inside of his neck or something like that. And I and I I, I remember seeing an image of that at the time, mm-hmm. not having seen the movie and going. Ugh. Yeah. You know, just kind of like ah, I this don't know if I want to. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to see this. This is gross. I'm like, yeah, at that at that time, I'm I'm not I'm not acquainted with anything about myself. So I'm you know I don't mm, not, I don't know about I don't what is that I'm not I'm, that it, it seemed just like you were saying it was a bit frightening, uh, and I think I just steered away from it because of it's a bit of too that. adult yeah. or maybe bringing yeah. up bigger I, thoughts. Yeah, and that was all in the marketing though. I wish mm-hmm. I had actually seen it because the way that that is even introduced is really really comedic. It's really funny. And and I think if I had just watched the movie, it would not have been scary. It would yeah. not have been any any kind of traumatizing whatsoever. But something about the marketing or just the images that were getting out, I went, ooh, gross. Ooh, oh, too much. Too much. Not with, for me. Yeah. And with the books, there is a distance from that in terms of the visuals with the writing because you're imagining it and it's just a line that's a joke or an off you know, side off the side thing. But when you see it in visual form, you're like, oh, maybe this is a bit too grotesque and should just be left to my imagination or skipped quickly through. Right. (laughs) It's not horrific by any means, but just it it is a bit unsettling because it is so provocative in terms of the sci-fi mixed with making it funny. Shout out real quick to Jim Henson Company. They did all yeah. the practical effects for this film and and I was not expecting it to be so hands-on practical. This is really 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 tactile film. Yeah. Uh, and, and tons of creatures, tons of beautiful makeup effects work, tons of amazing set work. Uh, the movie is worth watching just on that note alone because you don't see a lot of the artistry and craft that went into this movie in every movie that's coming out these days. Right. And so the other thing, even in the time frame, part of uh, there's criticism for does the film work right? It's an American production, mostly American actors. Mm-hmm. At the time in 2005, Star Wars and Harry Potter both have their first entries that are PG-13 to the series oh. Revenge of the Sith and the Goblet of Fire, which are also grittier and darker. So this is the culture that people are veering towards. Post 9-11 as is, well. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. CGI and a bit more of a pessimistic view of things. Batman is also begins, comes out the first one, Christopher right. Nolan, where they take right. more of a Same dark, year. gritty reboot. And then Spielberg also came out with War of the Worlds. Oh man. Where yeah. aliens and are that's right. Over. I think aesthetically that's 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 right akin to this almost. Mm-hmm. The, this is this is the comedy version of that. But the the the, the it's definitely fitting in next to it. And the troubled history of the creation of this movie extends back to the very beginning. We'll get into Douglas Adams's life and how he got this to be, but let's just assume, which is true, that this thing has been made as a radio show and a book. So the idea of making it into a film had been thrown around since the 70s. There was a producer who wanted it to be made, ABC, Mm -hmm. the American company, 
asked him, he refused because he said they probably just wanted to do Star Wars with jokes, right. which is not what he no. was interested in, and it's not what it is. So he- Not even close. <laughs> as the creator, rejected them in the late 70s. Then in 82, he got in touch with these three American producers, signed an option, had done three drafts of a screenplay wow. for them. Yeah. And as that's a, pretty significant. Yeah. They were into the casting phase, figuring out what they were going to do with people. They were considering for the character of Ford Prefect, who is the alien friend of his, his friend. Yeah. They were considering Bill Murray or Dan Aykroyd. Mm -hmm. And at the time, Aykroyd had sent these same producers his idea for a movie, which then became Ghostbusters. Oh. So they decided oh. to do that again. So it's Ivan Reitman, <laughs> the guy who made the Ghostbusters logo. Like all those guys were on with Douglas Adams wow. for doing this wacky hitchhiker sci-fi thing. They wanted... Dan Aykroyd or Bill Murray, and they're like, hey, we have this idea. Can you imagine if the pendulum had swung the other way right. and Ghostbusters didn't go, but all those people ended up doing Hitchhiker's Guide to exactly. the Galaxy? Because all of the, everything that went into Ghostbusters could have just as easily <laughs> swung over and went into Hitchhiker's Guide to the yeah. Galaxy. That's pretty incredible. When you think about just Ghostbusters, <laughs> that is a cultural staple. A, a it really is. masterwork of the 80s. Yeah. It, is, it is with us forever and all time now. Mm-hmm. To think how easily the, the the powers that be, just the production, what goes, what doesn't go, yes, no. Yeah. It could have all of those resources, all of that talent could have just swung into this project at mm -hmm. that time. That's kind of and we wouldn't have Ghostbusters. But what would have that what would have uh, uh, Galaxy turned out like? Yeah. That's a really interesting it's road crazy. to go down. Yeah. So Douglas Adams is a bit more wary of the Hollywood process after this. A quote from him, he said it the process of trying to make a movie in Hollywood is quote, like trying to grill a steak by having a succession of people come into the room and breathe on it. <laughs> That, Which yeah, is exactly hurts. true. My stomach hurts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you just got to get the right people and it's going to take forever. So since the 80s, it was in talks. There were things going on. He had moved from London to L.A. in 1999 because it looked like the process was going on. Touchstone right. Pictures, really Disney was coming like into it. it. Jay Roach, who had just come off of the success of directing Austin Powers, which oh, is wow. another satire oh, of wow, a genre yeah. film. That could have been easily, yeah. yeah. He was on it but stepped down. Spike Jones, who had just done Being John Malkovich, another oh, quirky wow, yeah. picture, was interested. Oh, he, he would have been great. He turned it down and then suggested this other guy, Garth Jennings, who had done a bunch of music videos. Oh, that makes so much sense because Spike Jones. I mean, he. If you don't know anything about Spike Jones, go look him up. He's an incredible artist. But I mean, it, his film work at this time was really incredible. It was so fresh. Uh, so to see the world he was coming out of, this kind of skater world, mm -hmm. uh, this punk kind of world, but he's going to make music videos really, as well. Music videos, uh, bands like REM, all that kind of stuff. Uh, that makes a ton of sense to hear that that Garth comes out of the Spike Jones world that kind of chaotic yeah. new new life at the end of the at the end of the 90s but there's a lot of people breathing on this stake of this movie and <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately so shortly after getting it off the ground again like we said he had Douglas Adams who was he was the one writing the screenplay moved to LA in 99 he dies suddenly of a heart attack in 2001 oh, no. at the age of 49 and so they got this guy Kerry Kirkpatrick to f do the final draft on Adams's script. So they most took of his it, scripts and yeah, then just and retooled it, it okay. and got the director. And so a lot of the stuff that ends up being in the movie that's mm -hmm. not in the books is by Adams, oh, although it is... wasn't completed. So there is a fair amount. It's just the interpretation as well of 
the director and the writer who changed up a fair portion of it, but tried mm. to keep the intent. So it's very hard yeah. where it's like, well, he just died. Do we continue to make this happen right. with a different writer? Because clearly it's not completed, but we want to use some of his ideas. But do you think it almost it might have been even the push to get it done? Because think he's... Oh, 100%. Think yeah, they're thinking about doing this movie for the last 20 years and he can't get it done. He moves to LA to try to get it done and then then suddenly dies. Yeah. And then look, within, within four, four years, years yeah. the movie is out. The movie yeah. is totally out and done. Yeah, uh, the movie it's, was isn't dedicated. It sad, to him. yeah, yeah. Isn't it sad that it, it? He thinks this is going the entire time, twenty years almost. But it takes actually him dying for everybody else to go like, we need, we are okay. Maybe we ought to do this. Yeah, yeah. So who is this guy, Douglas Adams? Why is he so revered for this work that has actually been changed into a million things? And how did he come up with it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So interesting. <laughs> Just as a connection, uh, if you listen to our. Uh, Westworld episode talking about Michael Crichton, the mm -hmm. guy who wrote all this great stuff. Douglas Adams was six feet by age 12 and then ended Whoa. up being six foot five. So another really tall writer who was very self-conscious about his height mm. as a young person oh. and went to creative writing as yeah. an outlet. Yeah, yeah. Um, this will tie in later in terms of his interest in nature and environmental stuff. Mm -hmm. He grew up with his grandmother who ran an SPCA shelter. So he was just oh, around all of these you. animals okay. yeah. being taken in. He was the only student to get a 10 out of 10 in creative writing in high school. So unlike Michael Crichton, where they said, you can't do this, <laughs> he was rewarded for his abilities as a kid. So that got him excited to do it. Yeah. So then he went to college for that, graduated in 1974, and got into the Footlights, which is a famous Cambridge theater troupe where a lot of famous okay. British comedians are coming out of, which Monty Python, all the guys from Monty Python, oh, no way. Yeah. were involved in that theater troupe. So he got in touch that. with them, was found by them in London after he graduated, and then acted and wrote for them and Monty Python's Man. Flying Circus. Look at that. It's not that it's similar. It's intrinsically connected. Yeah, because he was a part of it. Yeah. <laughs> so after that, once the, all that stuff ended, his career stalled because just the stylings of that was not interesting anymore. People weren't mm -hmm. looking for that, mm -hmm. particularly in radio and TV towards the back end of the 70s. So he went back, was very depressed, lived with his mom, took odd jobs as a hospital porter, a barn builder, a chicken shed cleaner, was a bodyguard for a wealthy Qatari family nice. who had made their fortune in oil, <laughs> just doing nothing to do with what he had done before. Yeah. And spent a couple years doing that, had written a few sketches for some radio plays for the BBC, mm -hmm. just trying to get something off, and had pitched Hitchhiker's Guide, this thing, as a series of radio play scripts. So they said, okay, cool, we'll do this. The first six episodes were put out in 1978. The premiere was at 10.30 p.m. on a Wednesday. <laughs> like nothing, <laughs> nothing of any, you know, just similar to yeah. the other sketches that he had been scattershot yeah. while having these random side jobs. Yeah, Wednesday night. Yeah, we'll put it on. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> but it blew up. People loved it. It was crazy and had then started writing the books. Okay. So you had asked about the idea for this thing. Yeah, where did it, where... I'm seeing a little bit of maybe how this percolated in his personality, but I, I, mm -hmm. I, I'm interested on actually when the idea came. So in the early 70s, he had done a trip through Europe on his own, and he had a very famous book now, The Hitchhiker's Guide to Europe, mm. that he had been loaned, that he was carrying around, that. the different places to go. And he said, often as ideas happen, you're drunk in a field staring up at the stars. 
and had his book. And he was like, what if there was a hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy? And then promptly forgot about it for six (laughs) years until he was writing these sketches for radio. And there he goes. Now becomes the expansion of all of this idea of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, what Mm -hmm. it all means, into a variety of different media also around this time. And this is something I was totally unaware of. I knew the movie. I knew it had a book. Right. I might have heard there was a radio show, (laughs) but I didn't. Past that, I had no idea this thing was so diversified on its platforms. Yeah. Absolutely no clue that this thing really was a full-fledged franchise. Yeah. So the first book was based on the first four episodes of the radio play. It came out the next year in 79. In total, the all the Hitchhiker's books has sold over 14 million copies, wow. which is about the same as the Fifty Shades of Grey series wow. or Grapes of Wrath. Wow. So it's a very popular series. Book two covers the rest of the episodes of the radio play, and then book three is the first original as a book. So it's not based Mm -hmm. on the radio series. Although in this time, so here's the other stuff he's doing. He became a producer on two other shows since Hitchhikers, the radio play was so popular, but then left after six months and he became a script editor and wrote three episodes for the show, Doctor Who. Whoa. Also directly connected. Yeah. So he's the zeitgeist of all three of the big geekdom oh fandom things yeah. of the 70s and 80s he has his hand in. So the third book was originally a treatment for a Doctor Who film that he wanted to make, but didn't get bought. So then he turned it into the third Hitchhiker's Oh, that's book. fascinating. Yeah. That's incredible. Around this time as well, he is involved with turning it into a stage show in the 80s, which had a very limited release but the big thing that it was known for was Zaphod, who's the guy with two heads, like you mentioned, yeah. was played by two actors in a big suit <laughs> that, that, that looked that similar. Inc- <laughs> that was crazy. Also at this time, he was involved in writing a text-based video game, sold 400,000 copies. It was one of the best-selling games oh my of the time in the mid-80s. It is notorious for its difficulty. The only film thing that was done with this, there was a six-episode television series that came out in 1981, which was mostly the same cast as the radio series. Okay. And it was pretty well-received, but it's really hard to find. Then he had also written a fourth book, which is the actual first original thing, not based on any other ideas gotcha. <laughs> that he had cobbled together. Although it's described as a trilogy on the release of the third book. So then on the release of the fourth book, it says a trilogy in four parts. He ended up writing a fifth book in 1992. And on the fifth book, it says the fifth book in the increasingly inaccurately named Hitchhiker's Trilogy. <laughs> Which gives you a sense of the the dry wit and absurd nature of these things. Um, (laughs) Increasingly inaccurate. (laughs) Yeah. So around all this time as well, he's trying to make the thing into a full feature movie. Mm -hmm. His whole life is basically devoted to this concept, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and the expansion of that world. And the characters really trying to make it something, you know, yeah. trying to build it out. That's really that's amazing that these, you know, 20 years that this is really his flagship. Mm-hmm. He had a couple other things that he was working on. He was very much into nature, saving animals. There's a book that he was involved with, which also became a radio documentary in the late 80s called Last Chance to See. Mm-hmm. And somebody had called him up and said, Hey, we want you to go to Madagascar and try and find this animal, the eye eye, which we believe to be extinct. 
he worked with somebody who then became his friend, where they spent a significant portion of time going through all of these different biomes and traveling the globe, trying to find these extinct animals. So it is both a radio documentary, audio version, and a book that he also wrote. Oh, wow. A big thing that he did, one of the animals that they were looking for was the white rhino in Africa. And so he was a part of the Save the Rhino campaign and donned this rhino suit. I'll post a a, a link. It's (laughs) just the most absurd thing. And as a part of it, he climbed Mount Kilimanjaro in this rhino rhino suit. (laughs) To raise money for this organization. He Ace Ventura did all the way. Basically. (laughs) And uh, there's there's video because after his funeral, the Save the Rhino group, and there was this whole beautiful ceremony with all these people in this rhino suit (laughs) dancing around. And it's something he would have loved. It's beautiful. In in his remembrance. It's gorgeous. Um, Some of the stuff which you can speak to in the movie which we'll get into, is what the legacy of this thing is. Because it seems like a bunch of silly nonsense. Yeah, But it has influenced a lot of people, a lot of creators, outside of just writing, but in science and math and technology. What really stood out to me is how it felt as if the the central themes of it were really on pointing to communication yeah. and understanding. The big conceit of the film is that this massive supercomputer has the answer to life, which is number 42. But because the people didn't, uh, asking the computer what is the, an- what is the meaning of life don't really know the question that they're really asking, the computer really doesn't understand how to, how to give them the answer they're looking for. All in all, the, I think the whole, the whole movie is kind of a metaphor for are you asking the right question? It's not so much about getting the right answer. Sometimes that's the easy part. It's about, are you understanding yourself? Are you understanding other people enough to actually ask the right question? That's Mm -hmm. really the hard thing, is to understand what to ask, how to ask it, who to ask. Uh, And there's something humbling about the fact that he doesn't even have time. He's just wearing his bathrobe through the whole series and all the books. Towel over his shoulder. Yeah, with a towel (laughs) over his shoulder. And it's like, there's that's no way to go exploring across (laughs) the galaxy. But it is because we're just as clueless. Right. And when you start exploring, you see there's all these other species and races and higher powers that don't know anything either. As crazy and wacky and out of left field it is, I think it really has a concerted uh, uh, theme. Yeah, this, it's really about uh, communication. Yeah. So some of this, some of the material that he has put into these works or concepts that you may have seen of, as we talked about, the number 42. So people had asked him, why 42? And there's been all of these this speculation. The answer that Douglas Adams gave at one point, he said, the answer is very simple. It was a joke. It had to be a number, ordinary, smallish, and I chose that one. Because people had said, yeah. oh, the, the binary representation of 42 is 101010. Mm. Um, base 13, because the answer in a later book is six times nine, which is not 42. <laughs> <laughs> but if you do that multiplication in base 13 instead of base 10, the answer is 42. Whoa. He said all of that is complete nonsense. He, sta- <laughs> he sat at his desk, <laughs> stared into the garden, and thought 42 will do. End of story. <laughs> 
but there's still see but that's yeah. exactly what the whole thing is is kind of about if you're going around in circles trying to find answers <laughs> for the you know what you think is the big question you're totally missing the point and and you're making a mountain out of a molehill right? mm-hmm. i mean seriously yeah there's a lot like google calculator if you type in what is the answer to life, the universe, and everything in Google? Google, the first response is 42. The number has been used a lot in math and science as an homage to Douglas Adams. Yeah. The Allen Telescope Array, which is used by SETI, which is a search for extraterrestrials, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. a government organization, has 42 dishes uh, pointed up at yeah, the sky yeah. and is a direct homage. You'll just see so many of these things relating to the number 42 in math and science. This is a, of, a big piece for Elon Musk as well. I saw yeah. an interview with him speaking about how this was a breakthrough for him as a kid. Yeah. So one of the things when he launched the Tesla Roadster up into space mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, and it was a big deal <laughs> on the <laughs> shot yeah. a car through space. On the television screen are the words don't panic which is a direct reference to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I remember watching that stream at the time and seeing that and not not understanding what that meant, but thinking it was kind of cool. Right, (laughs) and that's the, yeah, they're saying that's the reason because in the story, there's the Encyclopedia Galactica or something like that, which is the real encyclopedia. And then there's the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is the best-selling book because- it was cheaper and it has the words don't panic on the front in a nice (laughs) font, which people seem to like. The last thing is the towel. Mm-hmm. Which is very see, and the towel. I, you know, most of the movie fit in the line. I'm understanding the pieces. I'm like, I'm getting the eccentricity of it. I'm, I'm, la- you know, I'm throwing <laughs> stuff out that doesn't matter because that's part of the joke. But the towel, the towel is unrelenting. The towel is always there. <laughs> the towel is, is has direct jokes that I don't know <laughs> the point. The punchline, too. So by the end of the film, the only thing I'm still really questioning is like, wait, what about the towel? Wait, what did did I miss something about the towel? Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, so that's <laughs> silly, silly enough. That's the thing that's I'm left at the at the end of the movie going like, did I understand that? Fully? Right. <laughs> so the real the real story behind it in terms of Douglas Adams's life is, like we said, he was hitchhiking. He was traveling around and he just kept losing his towel as a thing. And he realized he was like, that is the most irresponsible thing to be doing. And also it's just as like a marker of somebody. If you have a towel, you're put together because he goes onto this train of thought. Like if you have your towel, that means you have a, you must have a toothbrush. And if you have a toothbrush, you definitely have like a card to get on the train. Like it all just falls from there. Like if you're somebody who's traveling around and doesn't have a towel, there's definitely way more problems that you have going on. And so that was from his own personal life. He's like, how do I keep losing this thing? So it just became a thing of like, if I always have my towel, I'm certainly going to have the rest of my life put together it's almost like a a mature security blanket right right or as a totem of oh that person who's a hitchhiker is worth picking up because they've at least got their life figured (laughs) out they've got a towel that's funny it's uh celebrated may 25th because that was two weeks after douglas adams passed in 2001 Mm -hmm. became towel day by the community so that's a a celebration of people bring towels around in public and whatnot Uh, in the late 2000s, Norwegian public transportation gave away a limited number of towels to customers that had a chip that gave you free rides on their buses and boats, that's similar awesome. to being a hitchhiker yeah. and having your towel. So it, it is a oh, commemoration awesome. of his life. And then the last thing, uh, Radiohead. They have a song called Paranoid Android, oh, which no, is named yeah. after Marvin. The album that Paranoid Android is on is called OK Computer, which is... N- 
how Zaphod addresses his ship's computer. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Yeah. They were inspired because they listened to these radio plays while they were traveling on the tour bus. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So he has so much of a legacy even outside and some it's like it makes me wonder after I was looking into all this like how how things would be different if he was still yeah. making stuff or put into this. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's incredible to yeah. to to sit back and 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 think that he's not here and there's you know that that there's not more being added to this. What would it be like? Um, but the fact that that it's it's not going away. Yeah, it's really not. And it's wacky and hilarious from a wacky and hilarious guy. And we need more of that, man. <laughs> I, I we 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 really do. I want I want more of this kind of flavor in the world. So. Well, get this, Evan, as our last little thing. Uh, Hulu. <gasps> They are now owned by Disney, who owned the rights because oh, of no. Disney Touchstone Pictures. They are making, <gasps> or they're scheduled to have the new show on Hulu in 2021. Really? The showrunner is Carlton Cuse, who did Lost. Wow. And it's supposed to be coming out. Oh my gosh, I didn't know. We, I, I didn't know that at all. We did that. I mean, we picked this episode <laughs> just surely on the anniversary. Yeah. Uh, so I had no idea that. But they, apparently, that they were next developing year, a new one. Yeah. Yeah. It's That's gonna be incredible. a series. Well, maybe we'll take a look at it. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a catch up episode. Yeah. We'll, we'll do a look back. That's this is wild. Uh, this is this has been. I mean, a, a huge eye opener to me. This again, I can't. I, th I don't think I can overstate how big this is. Because I never realized it. I really right. never did until after I saw it. Yeah. Now I saw it. Now I get it. I get all the nods to it because they're not overt nods. I think that's what I'm trying to say is that you have to really have seen it and understand what it's talking about to understand any of these nods to in say, real don't life. To say panic or yeah. hold a towel or yeah. any of that any stuff. any of that stuff. It, it, is so, it is so subverted that... It, You've got to be acquainted with it to understand it. And as soon as you do, you see where it's all over the place. It really is. Yeah, it's uh, incredible. It's incredible. Um, so thank you, Taylor. This was this was great. Uh, I had a blast. I hope you guys did, too. And a little announcement here. We have the winner of our audience choice episode for our, 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 uh, our series coming up. Uh, the winner is by far and away Harry Potter. Uh, I OK, I've seen the very last movie. <laughs> And I saw the second one only a few years ago at a Thanksgiving party. Seven uh, so doesn't I'm not, I, I've never read the books. I've never watched any of the movies. But so I've known that this is coming for me. It's you know I've got a back catalog of things that I've just like I'm shameful for not having been acquainted with. So Harry Potter. We'll be doing Harry Potter. Uh, It'll so be a, keep an eye out a, for that. A multi-part series over the coming weeks. Maybe every other week we'll see how it goes. But delving into all different aspects of it. The deep dive. Yeah. So thank you guys for participating in that. We're going to be doing more stuff like that. Uh, so please make sure you hit up our uh, Instagram page, at AlliteratePod. Um, where there you can get in contact with us. If you're reading something, if you're watching something, if you've got a favorite piece of media, please get in contact with us. Let us know uh, because we're always looking for new episode ideas. Who knows? We might do something on, on your favorite piece. So please, at AlliteratePod. This was a blast. Thank you all. And we'll see you next week.